Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome back, listeners, to your storytelling podcast. I'm sitting at about 70% wellness at this point, and I'm on the mend. Thank all of you for the well wishes, mates, and talk about unlucky timing. I get sick, and then the rain over here in Australia, WA, is just bucketing. Now, normally I can cut out the rain, but this was a downpour like no other. So if the audio sounds a little bit curly, that'll be why. Right now, though, I'm sneaking and recording in when it's not raining, so it's crystal clear. This is what it should sound like all the time, right? Anyway, in today's episode, I bring you Doorway to Destruction by Gerald Hatfield. The tagline of this story is, it was the doorway to Earth's destruction, and Kelvin Martin, the only man who could lock it, had lost the key. It is now within the public domain and ready to be read, so I can't wait to share it with you all. Also, I picked some more poems for you lovelies, as I wanted to shake it up a bit. Lastly, because I'm still quite ill, and may have overdid it in today's episode, I may have put my voice on its last legs a little bit. So in saying that, I'll not be signing out, but getting some much-needed rest. But wanted to thank all my Patreon supporters right now, because I don't want to go another episode without high-fiving those awesome people that support me. So first up, the two legendary Ode Night Tea Titans, Maya and Solstra. Thank you so much for your constant support, and at this tier you've helped so much in moving the podcast forward from a production perspective. That's a subscription to high quality audio, brand new music, supporting other musicians, and supporting artists for artwork. Being able to pay for subscriptions like Photoshop, and buying website themes and templates that I can apply. Without that support directly, this stuff wouldn't happen. So thank both of you immensely. And of course, my brilliant White Tea Warlords, Ion Cows and Lee Bauer, both of you keep the fuel for this podcast's fire burning brightly. Thanks to you, you're helping pay for plugins, additional add-ons to software that I own, and overall improving the show every single episode, much like my Ode Night Tea Titans. Thank you both so much. And I'll never forget my old grain forces. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Grisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Tristan Cassidy, and Dolphin and Cow. All of you are keeping the blood of this podcast pumping, mates. Seriously, with your help, I've been able to pay for hosting, audio boom hosting, and so, so much more. Thank you, all of you. Mates, have an awesome weekend. I'll see you Monday where I'll be 100% myself again, and I can't wait to bring you some epic old-time radio episodes. I'm going to catch some Z's, stay awesome as always, and till next, we meet. Old Kevin Martin strained futilely against the rope that held immovable his thin wrists. A crimsoned bruise raced across his forehead where Vance had slugged him with a very heavy hand. Don't be a complete fool, Vance. He said harshly, That machine can't bring you anything but trouble. The scientist's burly assistant glanced warily up from where he coupled heavy batteries in series at the rear of the glittering machine that entirely filled one corner of the windowless room. Shut up. He said tonelessly. Kelvin Martin sagged back in sheer futility, felt a deadly numbness creeping through his extremities from the tightness of his bonds. 
He watched the other, out of eyes faintly fearful and desperate. I'll make you a deal, Vance, he said finally. I've got about $8,000 in the bank. Free me. Don't try to use that machine. And the money is yours. John Vance's laughter was brittle and scornful. <laughs> Hell, I've seen those snapshots you brought back. Any one of those gems the other people wore would bring that. And I intend to bring back all I can carry. Kelvin Martin shivered. Remembering the restless cruelty that had lain in the creatures he had found with his machine. There was still a dull ache along his ribs, where a needle-like ray of terrific energy had seared. They aren't human, Vance. He tried to speak quietly, endeavoured to drive his point with impersonal logic. They are of fierceness and cruelty, just as you couldn't comprehend, and with their superior weapons, They'd subjugate the entire world in a matter of days. Hooey! John Vance spat insolently, patted the 45 automatic at his hip. I think I might do a bit of subjugating myself. He tested the batteries. I don't know how it works, Martin, he said briefly. But I don't care, just as long as it makes me rich. Of course, John Vance did not fully understand the machine. Even he himself had trouble at times in comprehending the space warping propensities of the machine he had built over a period of three years. He knew only that the machine warped itself and its occupant into another universe, a galactic maelstrom of whirling suns and gigantic planets, onto a world where he had met a race of living beings that seemed to be super endowed with unhuman hate and cruelty. He felt the sickness of futility within him when he remembered the one time he had invaded that other space. He had stepped from the machine and had been greeted, cautiously but cordially, by those great-headed super-beams. For days he had been entertained and shown the weird sights of that alien planet, and it wasn't until he woke up one night to see the curious machine hanging motionless over him, its pale blue aura covering his sleeping couch. Then he realized he was being drained of his knowledge subtly every night. He had raced from his sleeping room, fought with the single gun he had taken with him, blasted his way through the screaming mob that tried to hold him captive. He had fought down the long stairs, through the palace doors, and had fled into the night, pursued by the men who had protested their friendship. With his last bullet, he had killed the High Priest, stepped over the prone body, and lurched into his machine. His fingers had flicked the levers on the control panel. There was the instant hum of purring power, and then the machine had whisked him back to his own planet. He had sat for hours in the machine, too drained of energy to move, knowing that only a miracle had saved his machine's secret from the aliens that planned to use it for an invasion of another space. But now, because of the stupid greed of John Vance, because the man did not realize the slavery and terror the aliens would bring to the Earth, the machine was gone, and he was a prisoner in the laboratory room. He made one final desperate plea. All right, Vance, if that's the way it is, he said tiredly. 
But if anything goes wrong, destroy that machine. Those monsters will use it to invade our system. John Vance whistled thoughtfully, watching the scientist out of shiny eyes, his heavy features drawn into a frown. Then, he shrugged. If things don't go as planned, maybe I can make a deal, he said. After all, I always did think I'd like to be a big shot. You couldn't! Sheer horror froze Martin into motionlessness. The hell I couldn't! John Vance stooped, edging through gleaming wires, seating himself at the machine's controls. He twisted a rheostat, closed a switch, grinned at the supine scientist. Kelvin Martin said nothing more, but there was a grim determination replacing the panic in his faded eyes. A vacuum tube swelled with coruscating colors, and a nimbus of light grew from a lancing of wires around the edges of the machine. There was a dull throbbing in the close air, a rushing sense of the releasing of terrible unknown power. A misty curtain seemed to be drawing tight about the machine's outline. Then the machine was gone from its platform, and Kelvin Martin was alone in the Great Bear experimental room. Kelvin Martin didn't move for seconds. Then he struggled into a sitting position, doggedness that sent the hot blood pounding turridly at his temples. His mouth gaped as he strained and twisted futilely, and the panic in his eyes was a terrible force. Then he sagged limply, realizing that the ropes were too well knotted for him to release himself unaided. God. He prayed. He drew his legs beneath him, shoved himself back into his shoulders, touching a side wall. Sitting there, he searched the room with feverish eyes for any object with a cutting edge. His heart sank when he saw the bare sterility of the room. Without windows, without tools or furniture, there was not a thing in that room that could be broken or used to sever the cutting ropes at his wrists. Kelvin Martin sobbed deep in his throat, glanced at the door, remembering how Vance had locked it and pocketed the key. He remembered the cigar lighter in his pocket, tried to fumble it out, with the intention of burning his bonds. Dull horror pounded at his mind when he realized that his hands were completely numb, without the power of following the dictates of his mind. He had no way of visualizing how long the treacherous Vance would be gone, no way of knowing whether the man would return victorious. But clear reasoning told him that the monstrous people of the other world would slay Vance, then use Martin's machine as a doorway through which to pass their conquering hordes. Two, the machine would serve as the model for more carriers. He straightened at the thought, memory struggling for expression in his mind. He followed the lines of the walls, leaning against them for support, edging forward with agonizing slowness. By jumping his tired feet, Perspiration dotted his white face, and his thinning hair lay tight on his small head, but slowly the smile broadened on his lips. At last, he rested against the wall, then gently slid to a seated position. He tested his bonds again, ceased the futile struggle almost immediately. He sat for a time, then lay back and stared at the ceiling. He thought of many things in those passing moments, thought of his dreams of giving scientific miracle to the world or having his bust in the Hall of Fame, of people he had known and things he had done. Regret shadowed his memories, 
when he remembered things he had left undone and unforgiven. Then he shrugged a bit, lay breathing quietly waiting for the machine to return. He felt the sensation of released forces. A few seconds before the machine reappeared, he sat, drew his legs to his chest, scooted back a few feet. He waited, content, wondering just what would happen. He was smiling when the machine and its unhuman occupants whisked out of nothing into shadowy being. One glance they had of the smile on his tired face. Then the very air seemed to explode with gigantic twistings and loopings of unleashed forces. For scientist Kelvin Martin had remembered one scientific fact from his college days. He had recalled that two material objects may not occupy the same period of space, and sitting bound on the machine's platform, he had awaited the coming of the Frankenstein monster he had created. And now for your hand-picked poems. Life. Life is like a rose. Looking fair today, gradually it grows, then fades away. Character is the perfume, flying in the air. Useful works the solemn tune, playing everywhere. Like the trees when clothed in green, giving us shade and beauty. We can let our works be seen, if we do our duty. Sometimes the path of life is sunshine, and our hearts are filled with gladness. But when the path of life is cloudy, our hearts are filled with sadness. When life is spent in usefulness, it's more than what it seems. But when it's spent in idleness, it passes like a dream. Life depends on what we make it. We should strive to do our best, helping self and helping others, sowing seeds of usefulness. Life is measured not by colour, but is measured by our deeds. Length of years count us nothing, if we sow not useful seeds. Life is adorned with many roses, many fashions and many forms. So be careful in plucking, for among the roses are many thorns. The Ocean O oh, waves of the ocean, since the world was created, you have been beating against the land. You come and go, to and fro, and cleanse the grains of sand. O oh, ocean blue, your waves roll high. What a wonderful sight to behold. The billows foam o'er the depths unknown, and the lives lost on you are untold. The joy of the cellar thou art, O oh, waves, your roaring is heard far away. You dash so high, you seem to touch the sky, resting not night or day. Sailing, sailing away goes the ship, plunging through the waves she goes, trying her best to stand the test, whether she'll reach the harbour, who knows. The Perfect Day When the chills of death creep upon this temple, and silently life shall seal away, preserve the soul, O God my Saviour, in rest until the perfect day. Undisturbed rest and peaceful slumber Prepared for those who will obey. Sleep, O soul, in peaceful slumber. Sleep until the perfect day. Nothing can ever fret or wake thee. The rocks and mountains fade away. Sleep, O soul, in peaceful slumber. Sleep until the perfect day. Life doth come just for a season. Then the body returns to clay. But the soul in sweetest slumber shall rest until the perfect day. What a joy, what a blessing, 
when we shall hear the Master say, Come ye blessed of my Father, rest until the perfect day. Rest from cares, from frets and labours. Thou hast walked the narrow way. Rest till the time on earth is finished. Rest until the perfect day. When all the saints are gathered together, and all in spotless robes array, then around the throne praise God forever. Will this not be the perfect day? Tease. I will give you all my keys. You shall be my chatteline. You shall enter as you please, as you please shall go again. When I hear you jingling through all the chambers of my soul, how I sit and laugh at you in your vain housekeeping role. Jealous of the smallest cover, angry at the simplest door, well, you anxious, inquisitive lover, are you pleased with what's in store? You have fingered all my treasures, have you not most curiously handled all my tools and measures and masculine machinery? Over every single beauty, you have had your little rapture, you have slain as was your duty every sin mouse you could capture. Still you are not satisfied, still you tremble faint reproach, challenge me I keep aside, secrets that you may not broach. Maybe yes and maybe no, maybe there are secret places, altars, barbarous below, elsewhere halls of high disgraces. Maybe yes and maybe no, you may have it as you please, since I choose to keep you so, suppliant on your curious needs. Study. Somewhere, the long mellow note of the blackbird quickens the unclasping hands of Hazel. Somewhere, the windflowers fling their heads back, stirred by an impetuous wind. Some ways will all be sweet with white and blue violet. Hush now, hush. Where am I, Beirut? On the green wood's edge, a shy girl hovers from out of the hazel screen onto the grass. Where wheeling and screaming the petulant plovers Wave frightened, who comes? A labourer, alas! Oh, the sunset swims in her eyes, swift pool. Work, work, you fool. Somewhere the lamp hanging low from the ceiling lights the soft hair of a girl as she reads, and the red firelight steadily wheeling weaves the hard hand of my friend in sleep. And the white dog snuffs the warmth, appealing for the man to heed lest the girl shall weep. Tears and dreams for them, for me, Bitter science, the exams are near. I wish I bore it more patiently. I wish you did not wait, my dear. For me to come, since work I must, though it's all the same when we are dead. I wish I was only a bust. All head. Virgin Youth Now and again, all my body springs alive, and the life that is polarized in my eyes, that quivers between my eyes and mouth, flies like a wild thing across my body leaving my eyes half empty and clamorous, filling my still breasts with a flush and a flame, gathering the soft ripples below my breasts into urgent, passionate waves, and my soft, slumbering belly, quivering awake with one impulse of desire, gathers itself fiercely together, and my docile, fluent arms, knotting themselves with wild strength to clasp what they have never clasped. Then I tremble and go trembling, under the wild, strange tyranny of my body, till it has spent itself, and the relentless nodility of my eyes reassert itself, till the bursten flood of life ebbs back to my eyes, back from my beautiful, lonely body, tired and unsatisfied. Monologue of a Mother This is the last of all. This is the last. 
I must hold my hands and turn my face to the fire. I must watch my dead days fusing together in dross, shape after shape, and scene after scene from my past, fusing to one dead mass in the sinking fire, where the ash on the dying coals grows swiftly like heavy moss. Strange he is, my son, whom I have awaited like a lover, strange to me like a captive in a foreign country, haunting the confines and gazing out on the land where the wind is free, white and gaunt, with wistful eyes that hover, always on the distance as if his soul were chaunting, the monstrous weird of departure away from me. Like a strange white bird blown out of the frozen seas, like a bird from the far north blown with a broken wing, into our sooty garden he drags and beats, from place to place perpetually, seeking release, from me, from the hand of my love which creeps up, needing his happiness, whilst he in displeasure retreats. I must look away from him, for my faded eyes, like a cringing dog at his heels, offended him now, like a toothless hound pursuing him with my will, till he chafes at my crouching persistence, and a sharp spark flies in my soul from under the sudden frown of his brow, as he blenches and turns away and my heart stands still. This is the last, it will not be any more. All my life I have borne the burden of myself, all the long years of sitting in my husband's house. Never have I said to myself as he closed the door, Now I am caught, you are hopelessly lost, O oh self. You are frightened with joy, my heart like a frightened mouse. Three times I have offered myself, three times rejected. It will not be any more, no more. My son, my son, never to know the glad freedom of obedience since long ago. The angel of childhood kissed me and went. I expected another would take me. And now, my son, oh my son, I must sit a while and wait and never know the loss of myself till death comes, who cannot fail. Death, in whose service is nothing of gladness, takes me. For the lips and the eyes of God are behind a veil and the thought of the lipless voice of the Father shakes me with fear and fills my eyes with the tears of desire, and my heart rebels with anguish as night draws nigher. In a boat. See the stars, love, in the water much clearer and brighter than those above us and white like Nenufars? Star shadows shine, love. How many stars in your bowl? How many shadows in your soul? Only mine, love, mine? When I move the oars, love, see how the stars are tossed, distorted the brightest lost, so that bright one of yours, love. The poor waters spill, the stars, waters broken, forsaken. The heavens are not shaken, you say, love. Its stars stand still. There, did you see? That spark fly up at us, even stars are not safe in heaven. What of yours then, love? Yours? What then, love, if soon your light be tossed over a wave? Will you count the darkness a grave and swoon, love, swoon? Weeknight Service The five old bells are hurrying and eagerly calling, imploring, protesting. They know but clamorously falling into gabbling incoherence, never resting. Like spattering showers from a burst and skyrocket dropping in splashes of sound, endlessly, never stopping. The silver moon that somebody has spun so high, 
to settle the question, yes or no, has caught in the net of the night's balloon, and sits with a smooth bland smile up there in the sky, smiling at naught, unless the winking star that keeps her company makes light jests as the bell's insanity, as if he knew aught. The patient knight sits indifferent, hugged in her rags. She neither knows nor cares while the old church sobs and brags. The light distresses her eyes and tears, her old blue cloak as she crouches and covers her face, smiling perhaps, if we knew it, at the bell's loud clattering disgrace. The wise old trees drop their leaves with a faint sharp hiss of contempt, while a car at the end of the street goes by with a laugh. As by degrees, the poor bells cease and the night is exempt, and the stars can chaff. The ironic moon at their ease, while the dim old church is people with the shadows and sounds and ghosts that lurch in its cenotaph. I hope you all enjoyed the poems and the story. Have a fantastic weekend.